Well, this morning we are in our fourth part of our holiness series, okay? And the question is, how do we grow in holiness or how to grow in holiness, okay? So let's start with just a quick review and then we're going to jump into a key question and then I've got an illustration for us, okay? So review, we are holy but are also growing in holiness, okay? And that's where this little lovely graph comes in. Very helpful graph. Um, and I, I'm noticing I should probably have started something more like this. We'll raise a little bit here. Okay. Okay, so we talked about how the Bible uses this word holy to describe Christians because when we come to Christ, he makes us holy. Okay, so we are holy. Um, but the Bible also says things like, be holy for your Father in heaven is holy. So it commands us to be holy. So why would it command us to be something that we are? And it's because... We're made holy, but we also need to grow in holiness. So we have this growth in holiness. And this is accurate because we don't ever really get to perfect holiness until the day we die, and then we're brought into heaven and we're perfectly holy. We're made holy before God. So that's just the general backdrop of this question of how do we grow in holiness. And last week we said that holiness is aiming at perfection. Perfect holiness. We're aiming at perfect obedience to God, and we grow in holiness by doing his commands more, more often following his commands. And we also talk about how growing in holiness involves our consciences. Do you guys remember that at the end of last week? We said growing in holiness, God's given us a conscience, and to grow in holiness, we live in agreement with our consciences. We don't live in a way where we feel like we have done something wrong against God or something against other people without repenting and rectifying the situation, okay? So that's just a quick review of the last week. So here's our key question for today. How do we grow in holiness? And another way we might ask that question is, how does holiness work? How does this, this process work where I, where I get holier and holier and holier throughout life? Is it something, this is important, is it something that God just does in you? It's God's job to make you holier and holier and holier. Or is it something that you have to do? Is holiness your job? Or is it something that God starts and you kind of have to like take the ball and run with it? Or is it something that you start showing God that you're going to live a holy life and then he's like rewards you and helps bring you the rest of the way? Those are some options out there. How does holiness work? So to talk about it, let's use the illustration of a doctor-patient relationship, okay? So if you want to think about, sometimes holiness still is kind of vague for us. Think about healthiness. We all are pretty attuned to what it means to be healthy, right? And so if holiness is like healthiness, let's consider how someone grows in healthiness after, let's say, a tragic car accident, okay? So I'm gonna, we're going to walk through this and think through this, okay? So beginning with the tragic car accident. Someone has been in a car accident. Their body is broken and bruised. The paramedics show up on the scene. They do their initial assessment, and what they discover is that you have a concussion, you have a broken leg, you have broken ribs, there's probably internal bleeding going on, maybe a collapsed lung, uh, there's a lot of scrapes and cuts, you're just, you're in really bad shape after this tragic 
car accident. And so what do they do? They, they race you to the hospital, right? They race you to the hospital. They're keeping you going. They've got you on the cart, and they run you into the emergency room. And let's just say, for the sake of the illustration, as you go into the, into the emergency room, your heart stops. Okay, so you've got the beep, beep, beep. You're flatlining. Your heart has stopped. Doesn't look good. You are functionally dead, right? If, if the doctors do nothing, you, you're, you're going to stop functioning. You're going to be dead, okay? So your heart has stopped. And this is the condition of all of us when it comes to this quest for holiness at the beginning. Okay, so that's, that's that flat line down there. We are unholy. We have no hope of being holy. Okay, just like this person is unhealthy to the point of being dead, and they have no help, hope of being healthy unless someone comes and does something. Okay, so that's what Ephesians 2, those of you guys who are at the night of worship, that was the topic at the night of worship, you're dead in your transgressions, and you do nothing to make yourself alive. Only God can make dead people alive. And so the doctor, God, has to do something for you to be brought to life. Okay, so back in our emergency room, you hear the beep, flatlining. There's a lot of commotion. A lot is happening. For the patient, what has happened? Everything's kind of gone dark. They're, they're not there anymore. They're not with it anymore, right? And so what do the doctors do in that situation? They grab the defibrillator. Defibrillator. D defibrillator. Defibrillator. <laughs> I don't know. It's written right there. And they defibrillate you. <laughs> right? So they put the things on your chest and they shock you and your body jumps off the table and there's this convulsion of electricity that goes through them and it gets the body's heart to start beat, beating again. Okay? And that is that line that goes straight up on our graph here from holy to holy. They've been brought to life. That's what God does to us. He brings us to life in the sense that he makes us holy before him, okay? So they're alive. That's how holiness begins. But as that patient kind of comes to, right, the blood's flowing, they kind of wake up, the lights come back on, their brain starts working again. Do they jump out of bed and start doing cartwheels? and Like, yes, I made it. I'm healthy again. No, okay? They're becoming aware just of how broken they are, aren't they? As the pain sets in and as they, as they look around, they see all the nurses and doctors over them and the bright lights, they realize this isn't good. There's a lot of work to be done here, right? And that is also similar to when we first become Christians, right? Oftentimes what brings us to Christ is this, this sense of overwhelming guilt over our sin and yet this great gift that God's giving us to forgive our sins but at the same time, as we start going to church and as we get to know people who are holy, we realize, ooh, I got a long way to go here. There's a lot of work to be done in this life for me to finally become holy. Well, what comes next? Does the doctor kind of look at you and be like, oh, thank goodness you're alive. Well, my work here is done. Good luck. You know, like, hope, hope everything goes well. If he does that, you are in big trouble, aren't you? Right? You as the patient are going to be saying, wait, no, like help, come back. I need you to, you know, there's things that are wrong. I can't fix them. You need to help me. 
right? So you need the doctor to come and to help you. If the doctor, the only thing he did was bring them back to life, or doctor, she did, the only thing that she did was bring them back to life, the days of the patient would still be numbered. They might live a little bit, but then survival depends more than just on being brought to life. They need to be healed gradually of all these injuries that they have. So what comes next is the doctor's constant care. Okay, how many of you have been in the hospital before? Okay, You've broken something, you, you need something, right? So, so here the doctor may need to operate on you. They may, may need to set your bones back in place, put a cast on you. Um, there's almost definitely going to be medicine that you are going to need to take, and the doctor's going to need to prescribe the right kind of medicine. And even after you get to the point where you can sit up in your bed and get out of the bed and go home, there's follow-ups, right? There's checkups, make sure things are healing properly. And so it is with holiness. If we're going to grow in holiness, we need to realize that that growth chart right there is happening with God being our doctor, not just bringing us back to life, but helping us all along the way. Okay, God is present, like the doctor is present, throughout the whole growth in holiness and healthiness. But does this mean that the patient does nothing? Okay, so for example, let's say if the patient um, is in bed and, and the doctor walks in the room and they say, Go away, leave me alone! Are they going to get better? Or if the, they come in and the doctor says, you know what, you need to take this medicine two times a day at these times, and you're like, no, I don't want to. Tastes yucky. No thanks. Are you going to get better? No, you're not. Okay? Um, so as you go, and, and there's more to it, right? So think about this car accident patient. Um, when you're that broken, sitting up is a big deal. Getting out of the bed and standing for the first time is a big deal. Learning to walk again is a big deal. And when you're doing that, when you're recovering, those things aren't, it hurts to do that. Okay, so think about that for a second. For the patient to do those things, it's good for them to do it. It's part of them getting better is taking these steps. But it doesn't mean that it's just like a walk in the park. It's actually a very painful process. And it takes hard work and hard effort for them to do the things that are required to finally get healthy again. And I think the analogy plays well here again, because if we're to grow in holiness, we also have to put forth effort. We have to do something. We can't, you know, you guys can, can come to church. You can't just sit here and, and hear the word of God telling us the things that we need to do and grow in holiness and say, I don't want to do that. Maybe when I'm older, I don't think so. And expect that we're going to grow in holiness. It takes effort. It takes work. And it's not, sometimes we kind of are under the impression like school's hard, church should be easy. You ever kind of have that impression? Like, you know, I don't like, like algebra's hard, writing papers is hard. When I come to church, I don't want to be asked to do anything hard. Church should be just kind of like, it's, it's my weekend. Why should I have to do hard things to be a Christian? But the reality is, just like if you want to be the best soccer player or the best uh, musician or the best student, so also if you want to be the best Christian, if you want to grow in holiness, it takes real work. And you really have to put effort into it. 
And if you don't put effort into it, guess what? You really aren't going to grow. Okay? So that, I'm just trying to make that really clear with this analogy, that it's like this doctor and this patient, um, and both are really important if we're going to grow. So growing in holiness is something where God is at work in us, and we are also working to see it happen. So let's see, where does, where does this show up in the Bible? Well, if we go to Philippians 2, 12 and 13, we see this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation. Work out your salvation. Do work. Put forth effort with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Here we're talking about the growth in holiness. So Paul says very clearly, if you're going to grow in holiness, get to work. Do something. Work out your salvation because God is working in you to bring this about. So we see both things here. Now, one thing that we don't see is we don't see him saying, you know, God's at work in you, so you can just let go and and let God take care of everything, which is actually a phrase that was coined by a certain theology, let go and let God. That is terrible theology. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say that we become Christians and then we just kind of float through life and magically are you know, transformed into Christ's image. It also isn't saying um, that it's something that we have to do by ourselves. Like now that you're a Christian, get to work. It's going to be hard. You better get working. And you, you, it's all on your own. Instead, it says God is at work and you are at work, okay? So let's explore how this works, the God part and the me part, okay? How much do I do and how much does God do? Okay, so let's think of a couple scenarios here. I I brought this question up earlier, okay? But some people might say, does our holiness chart look like this, where God makes me holy, right, at the beginning, Um, And then he says, here, I'll help you out for a little bit. Let me me get you going here. Kind of like riding a bike, right? I'm going to run behind you for a little bit, push you off. But at a certain point in time, God says, now you take over and you're in charge of holiness. Or is holiness something that we're like, okay, I'm going to become holy. I'm going to do it. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be holy. And and, and, and I'm going to show God that I really need it. And then God's going to come along and say, oh, wow, I am proud of you. You've done a good job. Let me help you. We're gonna, I'm going I'm to take over from here. Now, I think we know that both of these are the wrong answer. Okay? In fact, when the Bible talks about holiness, it's very clear. God makes us holy, right? And then from there, it is just this, that's not working. Uh, okay. Both markers on the board. I don't know. Okay. I'm not even sure if that's really a great representation either. But the idea is it's something that is happening simultaneously. God's at work, we're at work. God's at work, we're at work. Okay? So let's talk about um, what God does and then let's talk about what we do. Okay? So what God does. The primary thing that I want you guys to understand about what God does in us to make us holy is that God unites us to Christ. God unites us to Christ. Now, maybe you guys have a best friend 
someone that you're like two peas in a pod, you love doing stuff together, you are very similar in what you do, um, you even start acting like each other, you dress like each other, um, you say the same phrases, you rub off on each other. That is kind of the beginning idea of what it means to be united to Christ. That God, when you were saved, he united you to Christ so that you could go through life as a Christian, not by yourself, not trying to figure it out on your own, but doing it with Christ in you and alongside, <coughs> alongside you. Um, and so uh, this phrase, in Christ, where have we heard that before? Have we heard this recently in our studies? That you are in Christ. Yeah, where are we hearing it? In youth group. Ephesians, okay, yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> All right, so in Ephesians, right? It says in the Bible, or it says, I read somewhere that Paul uses this phrase in Christ over 200 times to describe Christians. 200 times you are in Christ. The Gospel of John uses it over two dozen times. Um, what does it mean? Well, let me just picture Romans 6, 1 through 14 for you here real quick. Romans 6, 1 through 14, it says this. Listen to all these things. It says that you died in Christ. You died in Christ. Your old self, who you used to be, was crucified with Christ. You were buried in Christ. When Christ was buried, you were buried. You were raised in Christ. So when Christ was raised, you were raised. And it says, now you can live in Christ. So, so he wants to make something really clear to us, that we are in Christ. And so when Christ died, it was like we died. When Christ was buried, it was like our flesh, our, our old self was buried. When Christ was raised to new life, it was like we were being given new life. And now Christ is alive and living and, and, and reigning in heaven. So we can also be alive and living and reigning in heaven. Okay, So we are in Christ in that way. I should have put page numbers on here, so I know where we are. Okay, I think this. So God changed who we are by uniting us to Christ, and that's where the Bible says we are new creations. We're not the old person. We're something new when we come to Christ. We're new people, it says. And what does this do for us? Well, it does a couple things. One thing it does is it makes it so that we are no longer slaves to sin. You guys, this is a theme we've talked about in winter camp and things like that. You're not a slave to sin anymore. You're a new creation. Before you were a Christian, sin could come and say, do this, and you would do it every time. Now that you're a Christian, sin can come and tempt you, whether it's your flesh or Satan or the world tempting you, and you have the ability, not that you're always going to do it, but you have the ability to say, I'm not going to do that. And before you were a Christian, you didn't even have that ability. You just did it. So you're no longer a slave to sin. And one of the reasons you have this new ability is because you have a new power. When you are in Christ, it means that you have Christ's spirit in you. And I know we have three persons in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But oftentimes we forget that the Holy Spirit is described as the spirit of Christ. So the spirit of Jesus, Jesus' spirit that helped him to live a perfect life and to resist sin while being a human every single time, that same spirit that was in Christ is in you guys. You have Christ's spirit in your inner being, it says in Ephesians, and it is described with the word power. You have power. 
power in you to resist sin and to fight sin. And this spirit isn't just described as power, it's also described as light. So if you guys can picture a big spotlight, the Holy Spirit works like a giant spotlight in your heart when you become a Christian. It exposes the sin in your heart. We read that in uh, Ephesians already, where it shows you, oh, here's some sin you need to work on. Here's unholiness. Here's what you need to focus on. It shines on God's word and helps you to read it in a way that transforms you. So I've heard people say, I can't read the Bible. It's like Chinese to me. I would say that might be evidence that you don't have the Holy Spirit in you. Now, I'm not saying that by becoming a Christian, it all automatically makes sense. But something happens when you're a Christian and you read God's word that you get something stirs in you as you're reading God's word and you're like, oh man, I want to be that. Or that's not me or that, that's showing me a sin that I, I, I've already committed or that's showing me something that I want to grow in. So it's a spotlight on God's word and it's also a spotlight on Jesus. So the Holy Spirit keeps drawing our eyes to Jesus and we look at everything he did in his life and we say, I want to do that. I want to be like him. I want to be like Jesus. Okay, so we have, we're not slaves to sin, we have a new power, God's spirit in us, and we have this power that's like a spotlight that shows us what we are supposed to do. So that's what God is doing when he unites us in Christ. Because I'm in Christ, I'm not a slave to sin. Because I'm in Christ, I have Christ's power inside me. Because I'm in Christ, I'm able to see sin with the Holy Spirit showing it to me, I'm able to see what truth is, I'm able to see Jesus better. So the question is, if God has done this amazing thing in us, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? What's our job? Well, the first thing I would say is don't resist Jesus' spirit. So just because you have the Holy Spirit in you, it's not a spirit that overpowers you. It's not a spirit that seeks to dominate you. It's a spirit to cooperate with you, right? Because God gets more glory when you are holy because you want to be holy and you want to grow in holiness, not because he took your arm and bent it behind your back and said, I'm going to make you holy whether you like it or not. Okay, so we want to grow in holiness. So don't resist the Holy Spirit. Have you guys heard that phrase before? It shows up in scripture sometimes. Resisting the Holy Spirit, quenching the Holy Spirit, grieving the Holy Spirit. All of these are terms that are being used for that moment. And I picture this moment. Have you experienced it? Where, where you feel like there's something inside you telling you what to do. Showing you sin. Telling you don't go down that path. Don't watch that movie. You don't need to go with those people. That's not going to take you anywhere good. It says, don't resist the Holy Spirit. And and in that moment, you have a choice. Am I going to go and use the power of the Holy Spirit to become more holy? Or am I going to resist the Holy Spirit and not grow in holiness? Okay, and so we resist the Spirit when we hear that voice and we say, I'm just going to do it anyways. I'm just going to do, I I just, I want to do it. You know, like God just, have you ever told God, like, just leave me alone. Leave me alone, God. Like, I just, I just want to keep going down this path, and I'm tired of you telling me what to do. That is resisting the Holy Spirit in you. So one of the things you can do to be holy, don't resist the Holy Spirit. 
when you're convicted of sin, when you feel that consciousness, still small voice inside, you listen and you obey and you follow your conscience. So don't resist. And then, what do we do? Well, we become who we are. That should actually say, believe and become who we are. This is something I've, I've used a couple times as I've talked through Ephesians. So in Romans 6, he says, you, are died, you died with Christ, you were made alive in Christ. Paul's telling us who we are. And then what does he say to the Christians? Well, here's what he says. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So Paul has just taken a long time to say, you're in Christ, you've been united to Christ, you're dead with Christ, you're alive with Christ. So guess what you need to do? Consider yourself dead to sin and alive in God, in Jesus Christ. Be who you are. Stop living a life that's not in line with who you actually are. And here's an illustration of what this might look like. You guys know when, when you're younger and you, and you start going to school and you're transitioning out of that phase of being at home with mom to being, you know, someone who can kind of take care of yourself a little bit more. And oftentimes during that phrase, that phase, something happens where you're caught off guard by something, someone's mean to you, you get, you know, hit in the face with a ball for the first time, um, you get your first, you know, bad score, and you don't want it to happen, but, but you feel the hot tears starting to well up in your eyes, and you start crying, right? And the other kids see you, and what do they say to you? You're such a baby, right? Don't be a baby. And that doesn't feel very good. But what happens? What happens in that moment is you typically say, no, I'm not, right? Tell your kids, I'm not a baby. Leave me alone. I'm not a baby. It makes you cry a little bit more, but you're trying not to be a baby, right? And the truth is, you aren't a baby, are you? You're obviously at school. You're not, you don't, you know, your mom didn't pack you a bottle at school, right? You're not wearing diapers. You're, you're, you're at school. You're not a baby. And so the first thing you say is you say, I'm not a baby. And then guess what happens? You stop acting like a baby. Over time, you don't cry at school anymore when things go wrong because you believe you're not a baby and so you become not a baby. You become a big boy or a big girl. Okay, so that is basically what I'm telling you you need to do to be holy. When Satan tempts you with something or when you are drawn to go down the path of sin, you look at Satan and you say, that's not who I am. I'm not a sinner. I'm not a slave to sin. So you believe it. You believe what Jesus has done for you, that you have been united with Christ, that he really did die for you and you died and you've been raised to new life and you have the Holy Spirit in you and you have power to resist the sin. So you say, I am not a slave to sin. And then you stop being a slave to sin. It may not happen every single time. It may not, you may not have like bat a thousand where every single time after that you, you never sin again. But gradually you, you need to call that to mind and to say, that's not who I am, so I'm not going to do this anymore. Believe who you are and then become who you are as you believe who you are. Does that make sense? Okay, so God's united you in Christ. 
You're going to grow as you believe that and become that. And then, last thing I'd say is this. Put yourself in communion with Jesus. So how did you die and become this new person? It's because God united you with Jesus, right? He united you with the death, the crucifixion, death, raising to new life. One day he's going to raise you up to resurrection life. So your life should be one where you're constantly trying to get together with Jesus. You want to be in communion with him. You want to live with him so you can constantly grow with him and like him. And how do you do that? Well, four quick ways. First of all, you need to pray. You need to be someone who talks to Jesus, don't you? If you want to grow like him, you have to talk, like, talk with him. You have to be in a relationship with him. You need to be someone who reads scripture. This is God's word, and it says Jesus is the word of God. Just so you know, there aren't any shockers in these answers, right? The reason we keep hitting these is because they're actually the answer. Okay? So we read God's word. We become more like Jesus as we read God's word. We go to church. We go and hang out with God's people because Ephesians tells us that the church is the body of Christ, with Christ at the head. So how do you get together with Christ? You get together with Christ's people. Christ leads us, and we are all following Christ together. And the last one might catch you off guard a little bit, but it is actually really important. It's communion. Communion in Scripture and throughout history is not like this kind of weird thing that we just do as Christians. It is one of the most fundamental ways that we have fellowship with Jesus. Because what happens with communion is Jesus meets us in communion. That's what scripture tells us. He meets us at communion. His spirit is there with us. And we are called back to that fundamental idea that Jesus died for our sins. He gave his body and his blood for us so that we could be saved. And we never get past the gospel. We never get past communion. So if you think of it like a doctor, if a doctor wanted you to get better... um, the first thing you're going to have to do is you're going to have to open up to your doctor, aren't you? He's going to say, you got to talk to me. you got to come for your exam. You know, when I say stretch out your leg, you got to stretch out your leg. You can't be like, no, I'm not going to do it. All right? And the same way, we got to pray. we got to be in com- communication with our doctor. we got to say, Lord, help me with this. Same thing you'd say to your doctor, wouldn't you? Like, i got this thing, it hurts. He's not going to know about it unless you don't tell him. God will know, but your doctor won't. Help me. And then you need to, let's say the doctor gives you the manual. He says, you know, this has everything you need to know about healing from your gallbladder surgery for me, right? Your gallbladder surgery. Do these things. You you don't chuck it on the shelf and you never open it again. God has, has given us the manual. Here's how you get better. Here's how you grow healthy. Read it. So you read the manual, right? And then a lot of times, um, there's groups of people to help you get better, right? Like therapy groups, like you, you heal with those people. Um, you're all working together towards the same goal. I don't really have that for gallbladder surgery, but I'm sure there's other surgeries, right? Where you are, you're healing together in the same way. That's what the church is. You get together with the people who are trying to do the same thing and, and you're growing together. You're saying, you can do it. We're going to grow together. And then you have communion where you are brought back to the essentials over and over again of how you became holy and how you grow in holiness. Um, so yeah, so that's, this is how we grow in holiness. So next week, we're going to finish out the series, right? 
And what I want us to do next week is, this is a lot of me talking and you listening, right? So I want you to prepare your hearts for next week. Because next week, I want us to take this exact same content. I'll, I'll throw a little bit more in there. And I want us to sit around and, and to actually think, do we want to do this? Do we want to grow in this? Are there ways we can grow in this? And it'd be awesome. It'd be so awesome if we came next week and we were able to say, I've actually already started taking a few steps. Like, here are ways in the last week, spring break week of all weeks, where I focused on growing in holiness. And it doesn't have to just be this week. It can be in the last year. Here are ways that I've been trying to grow in holiness. And this is not one of our, like, spiritual show-off sessions. So you've got, like, the one person who's like, well, in Awana, you know, I got the Timothy Award and I memorized everything. So basically, I don't know if I can go anywhere from here. I've kind of plateaued at this point. No. It's going to be something where we're mutually encouraged, where someone's like, I've never memorized a Bible verse in my life. And this week, I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to memorize one. And I, you know, I don't know where it's going to take me, but I'm just kind of excited that I actually did something. Or I never have done like a Bible reading plan, and I've decided this last week during spring break, you know, after I woke up at 11 o'clock each day, I was just going to try to read Ephesians, you know, because we we're doing it in small groups. I thought, maybe I'll just read it, and maybe I'll even get out a pencil, and I'll just underline a few things. And I actually did it. Yay me. So we can celebrate each other's victories, and we can talk about how we're going to grow in these things. So I would encourage you, spring break week, first of all, I prayed this already, but be on guard. Laziness, Satan loves laziness, and he attacks you in your laziness. All right, so be careful, be on guard. And second, fight for holiness. Find, find ways with your extra time that you can grow in holiness. Let me pray for us, and we'll finish up here. Our Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for today and this morning. And Lord, we thank you that this fight is not something that we do on our own. It's something that you do right alongside us. That you've given us your Holy Spirit in us. That you have given us power to overcome sin. That you are helping us to overcome sin. Um, Lord, help us to put ourselves in the paths of the power of your Holy Spirit so that we can overcome sin and we do overcome sin and that we would believe who we are and that we would become who we are in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.